0: Well, good morning again. It is good to be with you on this first day of 2023. Uh, Our scripture passage this morning comes from the book of Matthew. Next week, we'll be jumping back into our uh, series on Isaiah, and we'll carry on through that for the the coming months. But today, we're going to pause and we're going to look at a parable, a parable from the book of Matthew. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. Now, as we begin a new year, like many of us, we're probably somewhat introspective, right? I'm sure you've at least had some passing thought about, what am I going to do this coming year? What what should I be after? What's my focus? What, what, What are things that I didn't do last year that I should probably get to this year? What will we do? What should we do? And in the middle of that questioning that you may have running in the background of your mind, we come to this parable. And this parable in Matthew's gospel gives us a picture of God's kingdom, a place that we can take our hopes, our fears, and ambitions, all of those things, and bring them to God's truth and see what we should should do. So that's my hope this morning, that we will see the truth, the wonder, and hope of God's word as we think through a coming year together. So would you stand this morning for the reading of God's word? We'll read Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven... Is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or, you, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this, this parable, this truth from your word, would you instruct us? Would you guide us? Lord, would you bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Probably at some point this this week you've had the question, what day is it, right? This is that week of the year where you really kind of lose sense of time and is it Tuesday, is it Wednesday? Even this morning with one service, I woke up and just kind of felt like something was wrong, I'm supposed to be somewhere else. We have this this feeling of sort of disorientation. What are are we doing? What's what's our goals? And even in the midst of that, we are sort of thinking forward to a year ahead and, and making plans. Whether you make New Year's resolutions or not, we, we think about the year to come and say, I'd like to do this. I'd like to become better at this or that sort of thing. came across a, a little paragraph from the writer H.W. Auden this week that talks about sort of this sort of in-between funk that we find ourselves in. And he writes this. He says, well, so that is that. Now we must dismantle the tree, putting the decorations back into their cardboard boxes. Some have gotten broken and carry them up to the attic the holly and the mistletoe must be taken down and burnt, and the children got ready for school. There are enough leftovers to do, warmed up for the rest of the week, not that we have much appetite, having eaten such a lot, stayed up so late, attempted quite unsuccessfully to love all of our relatives, and in general, grossly overestimated our powers. And if you're like me, you also grossly overestimate your powers for the coming year. I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to read this. I'm going to do all of these things. So what do we do with all of that sort of reality that we find ourselves in? It's not too different from the context of our parable before us this morning. We see a rich young man just before the passage we read this morning coming to Jesus and asking him the question, how can I have eternal life? Really, his question is, how can I succeed at life? How can my life go well so that not only do I succeed here, but in eternity I have life? How can all of that come together? What do I get out of life? And he gets the answer that he should sell his possessions, give to the poor. And then Jesus, in the midst of that, lobs this statement in that says this, it's 19 verse 30. It says, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. See, his disciples have asked a similar question. They've seen him talk to this rich young man, and they say, well, we've given up a lot for Jesus. We've given up, we've left businesses, we've left family, we've left homes. And so, Jesus, what, what are we going to get? And Jesus gives them some, some picture of, of a reward, but then he still says these words, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. It's a statement we've heard before. It's, just, it's a statement that maybe we, we are comfortable with. Maybe we like it but it's a statement that, that upends so much of what we expect. It upends so much of what we plan for. And so that's really what we'll, we'll look at this morning. How does, what does Jesus mean by this? This parable is really an explanation of that simple phrase, that the last shall be first, and the first last. Now, what is a parable? A parable is a story, Jesus told lots of stories, but it's not simply a story, it's it's an inspired story. It's one that is not just a nice illustration, but it's something that is designed to capture our minds and our hearts as we look at the truth of God's Word and and begin to ponder it more deeply. One person has compared a parable to, to a room in a house that we come in and we sort of learn the furniture, and through that room, we look out the windows at the world. It's really what Jesus is is doing here in the very start of this parable in verse one. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a house. The kingdom of heaven. This is our frame of reference. This is the room that we find ourselves in. And we're going to learn about the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven isn't just talking about sort of heaven someday, but what Jesus brings as he comes, he his kingdom breaks into the world. It changes how we live and how we act. And so that's how Jesus begins to instruct his disciples and those listening to him with this this parable. So let's look at it. Who who are the characters of this this story? It's a fairly simple story on its surface. We have a master of a house, one who owns a vineyard, one who is successful and, and somewhat wealthy, able to go and hire these other people. And there's a series of workers that come into his vineyard. Five times he goes out to the market, maybe the town square, and requests more laborers. And so it begins early in the morning. If we set the scene a little bit, the the master has looked at his grapes and he knows that they're ready to to harvest. If you know anything about about wine, there's sort of this point where you're supposed to harvest the grapes. When they're 20% dissolvable sugar, you have to go and harvest the grapes as quickly as as possible. And so he goes and he hires laborers to come and do this, this work. Does it early in the morning. Now, it's somewhat surprising that the the master does this. Normally, the foreman would go and and do this work, but here the master goes and hires. And so he agrees with these individuals on a denarius a day. Now, that's just the going rate. It's sort of a a normal negotiation, so to speak. You come work for me a day, I'll give you your your food, your your money for food. And, And think about these laborers just for a minute. These are those who don't probably have a trade. They don't have a business. They need to work every day. So they show up at the designated spot and wait for somebody to hire them. Their livelihood is dependent on someone coming and offering them employment. And so these first workers are, are probably somewhat joyful, pleased to have work for the day. They'll be able to go home, buy bread, feed their families that night. And so they enter the vineyard and begin to work. And the rest of the story proceeds from there. We see the other workers every three hours. The master goes back to the marketplace and sees more people standing there. People who are idle. Not by any fault of their own, but people who have not been hired yet. And they're hired one after the other until we get up to this 11th hour. And there are still some people standing there. Think about those people just for a moment standing there waiting to be hired. They've been standing there all day with no prospects of employment, no, no food, no paycheck to go buy food at the end of the day and, and return home and provide a meal possibly for their, their families. It's the situation that they find them in. And, and in each of these cases, as the master hires more workers, he says, I will pay you what is fair. After the first worker, there's no agreement on the wages, simply that it will be fair, that the master will do what is right by them. And so we get to this, this last group and they're hired. And it's, it's somewhat remarkable that they're hired. How much work can you really do in an, in an hour? We don't know exactly why the master keeps going back. We'll talk about that in a moment. But for now, let's look at what happens. As the evening comes in verse 8, the owner of the vineyard said to his foremen, call the laborers and pay them the wage, beginning with the last and up to the first. There are a few surprises that we come across here, surprises that should make us ask the question, what's, what's going on here? The first surprise is that he pays the first the first, the people who came last. Normally you pay somebody sort of as they did their work. And so he does this intentionally so that everyone who's there can, can see what is happening. And so these last people who are hired come and they are paid the wage, the full day's wage. They get a full denarius. They have worked one hour, really, they've been hired, they've walked the vineyard, they've shown up, picked a couple grapes and hand, been handed a full day's wage. They're ecstatic. They're overjoyed. They're they're delighted at what has happened. This is extravagant. This is generous. This is unprecedented. No one does this. This makes no economic sense to go and hire somebody for one hour and pay them for 12. Yet this is what this master does. And now understandably, if you saw somebody do that, what's your response? What is your expectation as the one who came early in the morning? who's endured the sun and all of that, and you say, I can't believe it. This man is generous. I should make at least 12 denarius. I should be set for the next two weeks. And yet he's given these men who worked at the start of the day, throughout the day, through the heat, are given simply the same. They are given a denarius. Maybe it's... How do we translate that into our life? It's like somebody joined your company two weeks ago and got the full company bonus. The one that you worked for, the one that you sweated out, and they got a full cut of the bonus. It's like joining a class after the drop date, right before the final exam, just kind of showing up, putting your name on the test, and getting an A. This is the outlandishness about what is happening here. Now, now who are we in in this story? Parables are designed to ask that question and sort of put ourselves in it. It's obvious who God is. He's the master, the one who is providing, the one who is paying the wages. But who are we? Maybe we see ourselves as the one who have been working all day, slaving it out faithfully for God. The ones who have hustled, the ones who have worked hard enough to accumulate enough so that we have what we need. Or maybe we see ourselves who are hired at the very last moment. You really don't deserve the wages, and yet somehow God has given us this wage. Now, what is the wage? What what is this talking about? If we read the context, we see that largely what this is pointing to is is eternal life. That's the question that the rich young man asked. And so the point here is not planning out all the rewards that God may give. There's, There's a place in Scripture that talks about that. But really, it's focused on ultimately, what are we after? It's this eternal life, and how does that happen? Well, it happens through the Master's generosity the gift of the master. It is him that is is generous. And, And this is counterintuitive. This is the gospel. This is the economy of grace, that it's upside down, that those who show up last get the fullness of eternal life. Those who have not worked get the fullness of the gift, the full wage, the full payment. Why? Because the master is generous, not because they were super productive for one hour, not because they were somehow better at negotiating a deal. No, it is the master and his generosity that is at the center of this parable. Some have called him an eccentric master, but he is a generous master, one who is unimaginably generous. And this flies contrary to so much of what we know and we think as we think through the coming year, so much of what we're, we're geared towards doing is saying, how can I work a little bit harder to get a little bit more? And does that work? Well, yes, there's a side of that in how God has set up the world that hard work results in good, good rewards. But what Jesus is doing here is he's saying ultimately when we think of things that are eternal and eternal life, it is not our effort and our manpower, so to speak, that accomplishes the end result. It is God and his grace. It is the master and his generosity that stands central here and says, this is how you get eternal life. The last will be first and the first last. He upends the economy that we are so familiar with and gives us an economy of grace, an economy of salvation, not by works, but solely by grace. Now, how do we receive this story? How do we receive it? Do we receive it with joy? Or do we receive it with with jealousy? Our expectations as we come here, I think sometimes are to see ourselves as the one who is hired first, that we are the ones that are are slogging it out. We've been faithful believers for years, we've, we've lived good lives, we've, we've done all these things, and so maybe we look around at a church and we say, well, I, I'm the one that made that happen, or, or whatever it might be. We, we can see ourselves quite easily, I think many of us gravitate towards seeing ourselves as the one who is hired first. We've put in our deeds. And, and maybe we'd be a little bit more comfortable with this parable if, let's say, the, the one who got there at the, you know, the beginning of the day got two denarius, Right? It's okay if he doesn't get 12, but if he gets two, it's, it's all right. We want to have a little bit bit more, but, but this parable and Jesus' instruction to us is reminding us that it is all of grace. It is all of grace that, that these individuals receive what they have been given. It's not about what they have accomplished. I think this parable challenges, challenges us to see ourselves as those who are hired last, as those who, who don't deserve any of the wages of eternal life to be rejoicing, to receive this message with joy and say, how can it be that this is how this master works? But I think many of us may may see this and respond with maybe some some degree of jealousy. We don't like what we see in this parable if we really get get down to it. Remember, in college, this is, I was trying to think, maybe 16 years ago or so, uh, there was a paper that was due in my class. Now, I remember the professor, I don't remember the class, and I don't remember what the paper is about. But it was due about October of the year. And so I was proud of myself this year. I had everything planned out. I got that paper done in September. I was ahead of the game. Now, October rolled around, and what did the professor do? He said, I'm going to push that paper back. It's not going to be due to the end of the semester. So I was like, all right, that's that's fine. I'm, I'm ahead of the game. But you know what he did the last week of school? He canceled that paper. He canceled it. I had worked hard, I was, I was jealous, I was frustrated, I was, I was angry at my professor. Because why? He had been generous. He had been generous. He had shown compassion on poor, unprepared college students. Ones who hadn't worked, ones who hadn't planned, ones who hadn't thought ahead and been diligent. He showed grace. And this parable tells us that Jesus is a master who gives grace. Yes, there's passages of Scripture that will call us to work. There are passages that will call us to work on our salvation. All of that is true, but it is all a response to what this master does, that he is generous, that he is the one who gives with abundance. And so we should receive this not with jealousy, but with, with, but with joy, with joy. Our expectation should be the Economy of the kingdom, where things are turned up upside down, where those who are first are, are last. Those who should be, in our human view, receiving more receive what is fair, and that is the abundance of eternal life, the abundance of what he, what he offers. Maybe the easiest way to, to help us really see the wonder of what is described here is to take our eyes off our expectations and onto the employer, our employer. Really, this parable often, I think, is, is mislabeled. It's not really about the laborers in the vineyard. They're really the secondary character. The main character is that of the employer, the one who is compassionate. Where do we see this compassion? Well, again, in verse 7, we see a picture. With these who are hired last, they, he asks this question. Why do you stand here idle all day? Now, we're predisposed to hear the word idle and say these people are lazy. It's not in the text. These people aren't lazy. They were there early in the morning. They wanted to be hired. And yet, Jesus asked this question Why do you stand here all day? They don't answer because, you know, we didn't really feel like working. We'd rather just sort of sit here in the shade and enjoy the day. No, the answer is why weren't you, why are you idle? The answer that they give is that no one has hired us. No one has hired us. Really, I think the easiest way to explain the fact that the master goes back again and again and again is because he has compassion on those who are waiting for employment, who are waiting for for something, who are waiting for something and and they don't have any means of procuring it for themselves. They're simply there. Maybe he goes back each time hoping that someone else has come and hired them and yet he goes back five times. It's not like the master didn't know how many men he needed to get the job done. The focus in this passage really isn't on the harvest and how much came in. It's on the master's returning again and again with compassion on those who need, who need work. I think that's especially true when we see this last group of people come. Again, how much work can you really do in an hour? An hour before sundown. How much work can you go, get the person, bring them there, tell them what they're supposed to do? There's, there's really not a lot of time. And the focus begins to shift not on the laborers, but on the master. And the fact that he compassionately went back again and again to see what these people needed and provide for them. And so what is our response to this? Well, look at verse 11. And on receiving it, that is the denarius, they grumbled at the master of the house. They grumbled at him. They were frustrated. Can you imagine working through a lot long day saying, look at this pile of grapes. They didn't just pick themselves. I did that, right? And, and here these people are, getting off. And so they grumbled. There's an, an indignation at God's grace, something we see throughout Scripture. It's not just here. If we look at other stories, there's, there's Naaman and the leper, where people are irked at God's, God's grace. We don't have time to go through all these examples, but over and over again in Scripture, we see the people who think they are God's prized possession, and when that grace is extended to someone else, they're frustrated. They say, those people don't deserve that grace, which is a logically inconsistent thing to say, because grace is always undeserved. And so our response to this is not to grumble, but really what Jesus does is he invites these people who are grumbling to come and see his generosity, to see the wonder of the gospel. Look at verse 13. But he replied to one of them, "'Friend, I am doing you no wrong. "'Did you not agree with me for a denarius?' Now the word friend there is one not necessarily of great friendship. It's not sort of, it's almost saying, "'Look, pal,' It's that sort of edge to the word, saying, look, consider. The real edge of the question comes in verse 15, where he says, or do you begrudge my generosity? Do you begrudge my generosity? Is it evil in your eyes? Are you jealous because of my generosity? This is his question that sort of pierced us. Really, it's an invitation, though, to us. At this moment, this, master, this individual has, has the chance to say, no, he's done me no wrong. Join in the celebration of those who have received the wonder and the gift of eternal life. That's what Jesus is inviting him to, to not simply stay in this frame of mind of grumbling and wanting more, but saying, look at what God has done. Look at what this master has done. Invited to see that the master is a large-hearted man with compassion for those who are in need for the poor. What should you do with a master like this? I don't know if you've uh, looked up companies. You can do this now, right? You can go on in Glassdoor, Indeed, and you can look up company reviews. And there are different tabs. You can look at benefits. You can look at reviews and all those sorts of things. In this moment, really, there isn't a lot of application given to us. But, but think for a moment what you're going to do as you leave and go back to the village. As you've harvested all day, as you've seen this generosity, what are you going to do? You're going you're to say, you should go work for this guy. He's generous. You're going to tell this story at the dinner table. You're going to tell this story at the marketplace the next day. You're going to leave that five-star review on Glass or Indoor or whatever, Indeed in and glass, glass door, whatever those sites are, you're going to leave with a view of the master that has been profoundly changed. And it's important as we think through the coming year to ask the question, what is our actual view of God? How do we view God? As you make plans, do you see God as this sort of vindictive God who is going to sort of squelch your plans, and you've got to work really hard to make them work? Or do you work out of a position that says, I am fully accepted, fully free, the gospel is true. I don't have to work this year to attain my salvation. Eternal life is, is given to me by God through faith in the blood of Christ. And from that posture, from that position, then go out and work. These individuals, we don't know what they did next, but they had to go and get up the next morning and get back to work. Maybe they came back to this vineyard. Maybe they worked somewhere else. But they did so having encountered the wonderful generosity of the master. And so you and I, too, when we go out and do our work, do the things that we're called to do this year, or end the things that we're called to do, we do so as those who have joined the economy of of beggars. Those who know that we are not going to accomplish any wonderful things apart from God's grace. Know that we don't need to somehow earn his salvation. We are beggars who have received generously. And so with that, that's our our end. That's our goal. This passage concludes in verse 16, repeating this statement. So the last will be first, and the first last some of us might hear that and say, good, I'm going I'm to game the system. I just need to find my way to get last in society, and then in heaven I'll be, be first. I don't know if you remember, uh, as a kid, if you grew up in the church, these verses like this are sort of a, a hazard to you. I remember running with a group of friends, and I was losing, and they're all getting ahead of me. And, and you have this really good sort of trump card that you can throw out. Just as they're about to win, you say, the last will be first, and the first last, And then, you know, you win, and then there's sort of, well, it takes the joy out, and there's this sort of hermeneutical conversation, and somebody says, I don't really think that's what that means, but it's, you've taken the edge off the other person's victory. And I think sometimes we can hear this and say, well, what does this mean? How can we be the first and last, and what does that mean for my priorities? Really what this is saying is that God's economy, everything is turned upside down. It's not saying that somehow the poor are going to somehow be the richest. It's not saying that there's an automatic reversal. But it's saying, don't try to win at the things that are actually losing. Don't try to win at the things that are actually going to lead to loss. You can probably fill in the blanks on the things that we think are, are winning. The rich young man, his position, his money, his security, all of those things are things that, that in that culture would have said, this guy is winning. Jesus says, no, those aren't the things that actually lead to winning. It is the generosity of the master. It is coming to him, knowing that we are in need. That's what it means in this new economy. That's how we find eternal life. And so what we see in the midst of this is that Christ is at the center. It's no surprise in a parable that Jesus tells that he is at the center of the story. And that's what we see and should have shape our coming year is that we have a master who like this master who has been generous to us. Whether you've been a Christian your whole life or became a Christian this week, there's hope here. That the one who has called us, the one who has saved us, is the one who is generous towards us. The beautiful thing about parables is that they're open-ended. They just end, maybe be, just before you want to know a few more details about what happened. I think Jesus does that on purpose to cause us to begin to step into the story and say, well, how should these people live now? How should they live differently, having encountered the master's generosity? Really, that's the question for us as we go into another year. How do we live differently because we have encountered the truth of the gospel? How do we treat others? How do we set our goals and priorities? All of it begins to change. If you've ever dealt with, um, lived in a different country, you have to learn a new currency. Have you ever had this experience where you you pull out a wad of cash and you're just sort of like, I don't don't know, Just, just sort of take... It's not a good idea, don't do that. Uh, but, but there's this experience of fumbling around with the economy and the currency. And I think that's something that you and I, for the time being, before we get to the new heavens and the new earth, struggle with. We're fumbling around with a new currency. It's a currency of grace. It's a currency of, of mercy. But as we fumble around, we have this wonderful picture that says, even as we go and work, as we go and do the things that God calls us to do, be good, and be good employees, be in good employers, be a good husband, be a good wife, be a good student, be a good whatever it is. As you go and do all of those things, you do it from a position of acceptance. You do it from a position that the gospel is true, that eternal life is secure. And Instead, so we treat each other differently. We treat each other with humility, with gladness, with joy. We're generous. We take joy. We delight in our master, never begrudging his generosity, delighting the fact that the last will be first, and the first last. And that is good news for you and I, because we are those who have been hired at the last minute, those who are sinners in need of God's, God's grace. So let's live this year in light of God's generosity with a hope that eternal life is secure in what Christ has done. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for a parable like this. One, Lord, that calls us to begin to imagine together the wonder of the new heavens and the new earth the kingdom of heaven, picture it for us here. Lord, would we live differently? Would we rejoice in the hope of the gospel? Lord, if we don't know the generosity of the master, your generosity through the blood of Christ, would we come to that understanding today? Would we turn from our sins and run to your generosity? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a moment now and let's prepare to meet together at the table.